All right. Welcome. Uh, the first one, the Phone Jacket Sales podcast. Um, yeah, how exciting, right? Uh, you're probably wondering why is the sales bit in brackets? Um, I wanted to call this the Phone Jacket podcast, right? Because it sounded loads better. But then I thought no one's going to know what it's about. So I shoehorned the sales bit in. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about on this podcast. Uh, as it's the first one, a uh, few things. Um, we're going to launch this on YouTube. So hit that like and subscribe button. Um, and, yeah, you'll get updates. We're going to do one every month. Too busy to do them every week. So it's going to be very exclusive for the guests coming on, right? Um, so, yeah, going to launch it on YouTube. Um, and not really much of a theme. I'm just going to get people on here. Um that I like some mavericks. I like mavericks, people that have got an opinion and not afraid to put it out there in the open, right? And some people that kind of challenge the status quo. So we're try and get some guests on uh, of that nature, which uh, brings me on to my first guest, right? And who better to get on than the UK's most hated sales trainer? Uh, he's got lots of opinions, right? Um, so yeah, welcome. Thank you for coming along and popping my podcast, Cherry Benjamin. Oh, I'm always happy to pop a cherry. You know that, Callum. It's it's, it's actually it's a real uh, it's a privilege and an honour. I'm glad you asked me. We've known each other for I don't know several years now. Must be um, years, yeah. 2020, um, yeah. and I've coached you, trained you, watched you go out into the world and become the man you are today. And it's been an incredible journey watching you grow in confidence and set up your own business and now you know selling in your services teaching people running podcasts it's i'm really proud it's like like, like a dad who's had a, a son go off and do something <laughs> so it's, I, i'm honored that you asked me to be your first guest God, the honor is all mine and yeah i remember two years ago like you said first everything was done through zoom right because it was covid uh, and yeah, we, we were here on uh, a Zoom chat. I remember the very first thing you said to me was, you look fucking miserable, is everything all right? Um, and that was my introduction to the UK's most hated sales trainer. Uh, luckily, it didn't put me off though, right? Because I remember it was kind of a pivotal moment because I'd been so kind of lost and caught up in sales and all the struggles. Uh, and yeah, it was nice for someone to point out that like, this is actually a bigger problem than you kind of probably... I probably realised at the time, right? So, yeah, yeah. Well, you but, weren't happy. You no, weren't happy. Miserable. You weren't happy, and it was—you yeah. could see it. My, you know, part of my job is to call it as I see it. And, uh, yeah, but hey, yeah. that's all in the past. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very happy now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. Well, look, first part then. Everyone loves the story, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> what's, your, what's your story? How did you get into sales, and how? Did ah. How did a Kiwi become the UK's most hated sales trainer? Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, well, you know the story because you've heard it many times, but your audience uh, uh, might not have. So, yeah, as you're I, like most people in sales, probably about 90, 95% of people in sales, I fell into sales. This is not what I wanted for my life. Mm. It wasn't what I had planned for my life. I had dreams. I had aspirations. Uh, but they didn't happen. Well, they did. I qualified, as, as a lot of people know, as a, as a barrister. But before setting into a career, I decided to do some travel, came to England, uh, worked in pubs and stuff, and then decided I needed to get a job. And what do you do if you've got a law degree and no other skill set? <laughs> Bugger all, right? So sales, as long as you don't dribble, look good in a suit and can coherently put a sentence together, you're qualified. So yeah, I entered yeah. into the world of sales via recruitment. I got my first job was in recruitment and sales, I guess, and um, 
set a company record, didn't recruit anyone for six months. I was absolutely <laughs> Um They gave me a week's notice, actually. I was told you got a week's notice and then you're out. And so the following week, this was on a Friday. So the following week, I went back and I hit the phones hard. And they love getting in front of people, recruiters, to, to sell in what they do. And I set up a load of appointments. And I got a stay of execution by another week. And so the, the, the director sent me an email, said, I can't make our meeting today. Uh, just do more of what you did this week. Just set more appointments. So I did the same again the following week. And uh, basically he said, look, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to fire you. I'm going to give you a new job. You're not going to be a recruitment consultant. You're just going to do lead development. That's it. You are. I became a telephone prospect, a phone monkey, as I used to call myself. <laughs> That was my job. And then, then I got poached, ironically, uh, <laughs> a few months later after being given this new role by a company that was a lead generation business. Um, and they specialized in advertising agencies, setting appointments. And I, yeah, I did that for any months and then realized, why, why am I working for this guy and him getting paid three grand a month for my labor? Yeah. Why don't yeah. I just go direct to advertising agencies myself and offer the same service, which is what I did. That was 2006, and I spent 10 years pretty much prospecting every day, uh, mm -hmm. trying to get appointments for advertising agencies. Um, so that's I developed some pretty good ways of prospecting and was very effective. All my clients, although I take no credit for the winning business because I didn't do any selling, I'm going to point that out, I simply kicked the yeah. door in. But most of them went on to win bits of business which well covered what they'd ever invested with me. And the meetings they were getting were always quality. They were always meeting the right people, and they were happy. As long as I did that, they kept me on. And I did that. But I got to a point where I realized one day I must have been 36, 7, something like that. And I was sitting at my desk prospecting. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Unless I figure a way out. I've got to figure out how to actually sell. I'm good at selling in my services, but I don't want to keep selling in telephone prospecting services. I could set up a company and train people, but I don't want to do that. I'm not a manager. I'm not really a – no, I never wanted a company, and I never will. I'm a one-man band, right? So, so I had to figure out another way to make a lot of money, and that was learn how to sell. And I embarked on a journey of learning how to sell, met some great salespeople, read some interesting books. But I did one thing that a lot of salespeople don't. I just got really, really good at doing the basics really, really well and understanding process is more important than outcomes, getting things right. And, and that's what I've done. And as you know, I've gone on to create a business. COVID came, best thing that ever happened to someone like me, opened up the world to me, suddenly went from doing everything in-house to doing everything online. Um, yeah, and it's just gone from strength to strength that I got to meet great people like you and, you know, work with people like you who've gone off to also apply the same stuff and have success. So, yeah, that's why, why I keep doing it. And that's my story. Yeah. Okay. A couple of questions on that, Liam. So, first one, you did prospecting for 10 years. For your, yeah. You were self-employed, right? Yeah. How, 10 years is a long time, right? It's a long time, yes. During that period, did you not think at some point, right, I need to do something different? What took it to so long? What took it to get to the 10th year for you to decide, right, I've got to do something different? It's a good question, actually. Um, I had two choices, right? See, like I said, I qualified as a lawyer. So technically, I'm quite a qualified guy. But you, unless you practice law, it's a useless degree. 
And if I wanted to practice in England, I'd have to do a few more years studying. And I didn't want to do several years, considering I could jump on a plane and fly to New Zealand and then be practicing in a courtroom. Uh, so it seemed naps, but I was stuck, but I didn't want to live in New Zealand. So I was kind of stuck. And I thought, well, what? I don't want to retrain as anything else. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to go into accounts or finance. So I was, what do you do with a, when you, uh, you're pretty good at talking to people, you're quick thinking, um, and you're quite affable. And I, I almost, I was stuck. It was a former prison. Uh, and I, and I, and, and I just, I don't know what happened one day. I don't remember what it was. It was just, I, I can't remember what triggered it, but it was just this overwhelming realization. Benjamin, you've done this for 10 years. There is no career. If I can even call what I was doing a career, there's no progression. The only thing that I can do is charge more for the same thing, but that's it. That's the only variation was how much I charge. And that wasn't quite doing it. But because I was earning quite good money, so, you know, I would have three or four clients and each pay me two and a half to three grand. I mean, that's 100K a year just to get a handful of appointments. Because I never found it particularly challenging, it was easy that I became complacent. But, yeah, I think it was sitting at my desk in Bournemouth. So we'd just moved to Bournemouth, looking out the window, and just something hit me and thought, I'm going to be doing this. So I've got to get out. And that was it. And that, and that was just, there was nothing, nothing specific that triggers my mind. But I do remember sitting at my desk, just maybe I was sick of it. Maybe I was, maybe because you know what it's like prospecting. You have days, you have moods. Some days you're fine, some days you're not. And I was very good at keeping my mindset in check. But some days, you know, it would get to you because it was just the mind numbing. It almost seemed the futility of what I did. It's like... Yes, these guys like it, but I'm not achieving anything. I'm not doing yeah. anything. I'm not producing anything. I'm not. I'm just on this little wheel, getting paid well to turn a wheel. And it's like, I need more to my life than just this. I need more substance. Yeah. And I think it just finally hit the point and I thought, bollocks to it. Time to do something else. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Right. Think the fact that you did it for 10 years, right? Just. Prospecting and cold calling day in, day out is, like you said, can be quite mind-numbing, so to speak, but it's also fucking tiring, right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's the other thing. Like, I have to be really mindful myself of not working too hard and burning out so that the next day I'm too tired to pick up yeah. the phone. So, yeah, the fact... You're only as good as your last meeting or your last month. Yeah. You start at zero, right? So you're constantly... So you're under pressure to constantly perform. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, obviously I coped with it, but like I said, it's just the same thing over and over again every day and I'm not creating or adding anything. So yeah, yeah, it just, it can become a bit soul destroying after a while. And I don't think you should do it for life. <laughs> <That's my laughs> no, I can vouch for that as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, earlier you mentioned when you were in your recruitment company yes. and you had, basically put on an ultimatum, right? To go, right, we'll give you something else to do. Go and pick up the phone. Now, obviously, you yourself and a lot of sales trainers out there would say that sales is a learned skill or, yes, it's not. there's no such thing as the gift of the gap, right? But obviously, you were good at something when they put you on the phone. Yes. Which I guess, in essence, could be the gift of the gap. So what was it? What was it that you instinctively were doing when you first picked up the phone that was so what i yeah this is this is this is this is i was talking about this recently with someone else 
because people say you didn't do what you teach now all the I said no so I, I call it the stun grenade approach I was <laughs> able to get someone on the phone and just bedazzle them with uh, the way I would speak, I was could be quite humorous. I'm quite quick thinking, so if they said something, I was able to come back with something. So I used to make people, I think, what I discovered as I started understanding what makes good salespeople is I think I was very good at making people feel comfortable. And because I made people feel comfortable, they were more open and receptive to having a further conversation. And I would actually have clients come back from meetings saying, they were upset that you weren't there. <laughs> you know, they were looking forward to meeting you, the guy that set up the meeting. You know, they said it went well, but yeah, just so. Yeah. So I was very good at making people, yeah, feel comfortable. Um, and I think that's why I was good at it. And there were lots of things I did that I didn't know. So I used to ask for help a lot. Uh, so I would, I would struggle, but I didn't know when I learned that I should consciously struggle, it became even more powerful. I was naturally struggling. Um, I discovered that if I'd put on a bit of a stutter that people gave me more time because, you know, it's hard to hang up on a guy with a stutter, right? So I used to do all these things. And I remember one time the CEO of an advertising agency saying to me, Benjamin, we've used a lot of people like you in the past. We've outsourced and we've hired people. None of them have had the consistency of success that you've had he goes why are you so good at what you do and i looked at him i said honestly he goes yeah i said, yeah. He goes, I, said I have no idea <laughs> and he said to me and i think this is when the seed was so he said i'll tell you what if you can figure out why what you do works you will make a lot of money being able to show other people he goes because i must say the meetings you get us with the companies are amazing and I listen to you and how you talk to people. You have a very unique way of talking to people. And I can't pinpoint what it is you do exactly. But uh, he goes, yeah, if you can figure it out, you'll make a lot of money. That sowed the seed that uh, started to germinate. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe he's onto something there. Maybe one day I need to figure this out. And I did. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, that. Um, oh, well, I had another, a couple of other questions on this, Tim. Um, where should we go? First one, then. You, like you said, you did 10 years of cold calling. Yes. Uh, during that time, you must have had some funny scenarios or funny stories on these cold calls. Are there any that stand out, a couple of them that you... There are some good ones. Uh, and some involve email as well. So, uh, uh, so I, I obviously, I, it didn't matter how I got a meeting, as long as I got a meeting. So I, yeah. I always used email, but I used to adopt a lot of what I'd say on the phone in my emails. And I used to be very creative, and, I, and um, I remember several. There's two emails that stand out, but there's one which I'm particularly chuffed with. Um, you know, you know Westfield, the big uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shopping centre. So this is going back off oh, 15 years now. We're going back a long time, but they were opening the new one in East Stratford, I believe it was, out in East London. And I was at the time working for a digital marketing agency. They wanted to get in front of Westfield to build a website. And so I, what made me good at prospecting was, is I would sit down with my clients and say, tell me the companies you want to get in front of. And then I'd be like a dog with a bone. So it wasn't a spray and pray. Yeah. It's like, let's figure out. And then that's all I'd do. And I would do anything I could to get in front of these people. It didn't matter. Just got to get you in front of the decision maker. 
So could it get through to the marketing director of this particular company? So I, so what I did was I emailed. I wrote some really cool email. I made up all these quotes that I'd interviewed people on the streets of Stratford, and they told me what they thought about the new upcoming Westfield. And I created this email, right? And I emailed everyone on the board <laughs> of Westfield, which is based out of Australia. It's an Australian company. So emailed everyone on the board. And my phone rang at some point one day, and it was the marketing director for Westfield. And it turns out she was actually a Kiwi. I didn't know this either. And I worked for a bunch of Kiwis. So this is a very weird thing, right? Um, right? This all and uh, anyway, so she phoned me up, and she was slightly annoyed because everyone on the board had forwarded her this email. <laughs> and she wasn't too impressed. But despite her reluctance, she agreed to meet with my client. And then long story short, they ended up winning the contract to build a 300,000, I think 300,000 pounds or so. It was a big, sizable chunk of some uh, website. So that was one of those stories. And then um, the guys that owned the company ended up selling, go back to New Zealand. And then the, the marketing director and her became friends. And then I ended up being connected. Through, so we all stayed in contact. So that was one of uh, that, 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 that was uh, a funny story. I remember another one getting through to, I think it was the marketing director of Coca-Cola or Pepsi, one of them. They have loads. And I've been trying to get a hold of this guy for ages. And he finally answered. And I remember the, the words came out of my mouth and he just burst out laughing and I knew it was going to go well. He answered the photo, goes, that Richard or whatever his name, he goes, speaking, I said, Richard, I said, oh my goodness, you're not going to believe me. You are my white whale of marketing and I have been chasing you on the high seas for ages and now I've harpooned you. I go, can I have 30 seconds? And he starts laughing. He goes, I really like that. He goes, all right then, mate, have your 30 seconds. I'll hear you out. And I did whatever I said, and it worked. He said, fine, happy to meet with you guys. Send an invite. So, yeah, there's been all these different things over the years. And, yeah, a lot of awful stories, too, thrown out of offices and uh, <laughs> people being rude and stuff. But is that, more, whole, is that more on the coaching side, right, when you were... More on the training yeah, side. Yeah, training yeah, side. yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, yeah, yeah so... Yeah, there have been some moments that stand out, but um, and my clients, and I think what's always kept me happy is my clients always did end up as a result of one of the meetings that they went on, did win business, and ultimately that was good for them, and it made me feel like I'd done so. I remember one. Oh, this is another one. Actually, I worked with a, an agency called The Lounge Group, and they specialized in marketing to 18 to 30-year-olds, um, and they wanted to get in front of a bank. Now, banks are pretty dry, run-of-the-mill sort of things, and this is a young, hip, funky. So I, I remember um, literally contacting every single bank in the United Kingdom and just kept bashing them. And eventually, Alliance and Leicester capitulated. They had a <laughs> fine, Benjamin. If, it's, if it'll stop you calling us, we will meet with you, right? So they ended up they ended up meeting the meeting went well and they ended up running a campaign for them which was so successful that when I phoned up every other bank and said we're the guys that did this for Alliance and NASA yeah yeah we'll meet with you so we ended up meeting with all the other banks so again those are there are moments like that yeah um, but yeah 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 it's been fun it was fun but tiring as you know yeah and I guess there's one key theme across all of them right that's persistence. There is, yeah, if you're working, yes, um, it was. I think, however, 
I was persisting when I didn't really know what I was doing. Had I known now what I know, I would have approached a lot of those conversations very differently. And mm-hmm. it's, you can never go back with hindsight and say things would have been different. But I suspect the conversations, I, I don't think I would have spent as long chasing people had I had the conversations that I originally wanted. But, yeah, there is an element of persistence. Uh, but that's got to be peppered with strategy and a bit of reason yeah. behind it too. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, the other question that follows on from that, actually. So you mentioned going back a fair amount of years when you were doing all this. It sounds like you were doing some cold calling and a bit of email as well, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So 2006, I went it alone. So I've been in this since 2004, I guess. Oh, so wow. 2000, yeah. So in it, so years. yeah, it is almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so on the cold calling stuff, then, yes, a lot, a lot's changed, right? For any of these sales reps that are listening to this, watching this, and they've been bitching and moaning about shit data or nobody's picking up the phone, how are things different when you were cold calling? Where would you get your data from? What tech did you have? All those. Well, this is it. I think people moaning today that it's harder is a load of nonsense. There's so much more out there. Ah. Uh, Going back to it now, I would go work for a company and they would have a database, their own database. No one was the. We used to have to use. There was a. There was actually a publication. I think it was called like Alf, and there was another one called Lena. And these were literally the advertising something. It was a book, and so it's like the who's who, I guess, of marketing. So I had every major company, and, and it just would have CEO, marketing director. Of course, it's a printed book, right? So this obviously went out of date. So every year you'd have to, so that was the resources we had. You know, it's like the old yellow pages sort of thing. So we had books. They had their own CRM system, which they populated over the years. So there was none of this plug-in, some CRM system and none of that. So the idea that it's harder now, the, da- the data's always been crap, folks. The data's always sucked. But what's always true is you've normally got the right phone number and the name of the company. And you've always usually got a name of someone that either did the role or is in the role. And with Google, it's not hard to find within three seconds the name of a managing director of pretty much any company. You can just Google the company name and put the word managing director and you're going to get a hit, right? So the idea that it's got harder, I don't think it's got harder. Um, I think it's just the same. I think in many ways it's probably easier because when I was doing it, there was a real reluctance to phone mobile numbers 15 years ago, that wasn't really the dumb thing, yeah? And so, was that a reluctant, re- yeah, was that a, a per- no, yeah, was that a perception of, or actually how prospects would respond if you did call it their mobile? Would you basically just get... I, I suppose it was an unknown social rule that had yet to be yeah. developed. And uh, the I, you go back 15, 20 years, right? A mobile phone was a more personal device. And because you could call it anywhere at any time, the idea that you'd be phoning people on their personal device, it just it just wasn't seen as an accepted thing to do. I don't think there was any prohibition. It was just we're tentatively moving into this new world of technology and what are the, what are the social rules around uh, this? But obviously that changed. And now mobile phones, people use the same phone for work, for business. Uh, with all the social, if you're, everyone's on, and which is in some ways a bad thing because very few people switch off. 
So the idea of not calling a mobile now seems crazy because it's the number one. I don't even have a landline in my home. You know, yeah. there is no phone. It is all done on this device. So there's no social taboo. Oh, no, you can't call a mobile. Well, what else am I going to call? They don't have landlines and nobody uses fax machines and carrier pigeons. <laughs> they went out 100. So you have to phone the mobile. So that's different. So that would have been easier. Had I known that, I would have phoned more people. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I don't think it's got any harder. Um, I think there are less people probably phoning because they're all relying on social selling and email and stuff. So I think there are less. And yeah. all the conversations yeah. I have with senior decision makers is I don't hate sales calls. I just ha I hate crappy sales calls. So humans haven't changed. The technology's changed, but people, we are still the same as our primitive, as we call them, technologically, 5,000 years ago. They still got angry. They still got pissed off. They still hated being interrupted. Uh, nothing's changed, you know. We're not any different as a species. Technology, maybe, but not as people. I, I, would, I would argue that it's easier now, based on what you've told me there as well, because yes. getting, hold of, getting hold of mobile numbers is so easy now, right? Yes. You could just fill, go into a call, put loads of filters in. It spits out 300 prospects with a mobile number, and probably 95% of those mobile numbers are going to be accurate, right? Exactly. On the flip side, a lot of getting past gatekeepers and getting through to a managing director when they're only in the office two days a week, that's a lot more challenging, right? So it's it just flipped on its head. So I, I, I think I agree with you. I think there's more opportunity to talk to people are walking around with a device that says phone me. You know, I mean, so how, how you can say it's harder. Yes, people don't answer mobiles, but people never answered landlines when they were ringing. It was all part <laughs> of the process, right? You have to you have to keep them on your list and you have to keep phoning until you get through. The challenge that you have is if you spend all this time getting through and then you balls it up. Yeah, and that's because you're not prepared. You don't have a process. You just vomit on them, right? Yeah, so yeah. this is this is what I would say. Look, if you're going to spend all that time trying to get a hold of someone, you should at least be damn sure you know exactly how you're going to say and what you're going to say when you get them because you won't get that opportunity again, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people – yeah, so no, no, I agree with you. There is no excuse not to prospect. I'd also agree with you that, I mean, obviously, I've, I wasn't working five years ago. Right? I was still at school. No, 10 years ago. Sorry, I was still at school. Uh, we're just finishing, finishing university. Um, but so I don't know how many cold, people were cold calling, but uh, from my experience, I don't think, definitely at CEO and MD level, I don't think they get many sales calls at all. No, they still don't, because if you give salespeople a list of data and one side has CEO, the other has head of, they'll all phone head of first, because yeah. you always phone at the level your self-concept lets you. And most salespeople are, uh, tend to be in their mid-20s, you know, younger, and there's this fear of what the hell am I going to say to a guy that runs a successful business? So I'll just call the person lower on the level. Or you get told, you, you'll never get through to an MD. No, they don't phone MDs. They never answer their phone. They're tough. So, of course, no one phones them, right? Um, so if you do get through, I've found most tend to be receptive. Very few are rude. You will get rude people. That's part and parcel. You know, it's like doctors get rude patients. Hoteliers get rude customers. You'll always get rude people. But that's not a reason not to do your job because you don't let the two or three experiences out of a hundred 
uh, deter you. So I get that. And some people will be grumpy and miserable. Some people will curl abuse at you. I can hang up too. You know, they keep forgetting that. You can hang up. Yeah, you don't have to take it. Just hang up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mindset, right? There's a lot you can uncover with it, but it's it's all mindset. All All right, then I've got three more questions for you. Three more. Fire on. On that topic that you just mentioned there of salespeople not going to MD or CEO, they'll go with something that's more comfortable. Something that I've seen on LinkedIn that's coming up, popped up a few times, is this idea of a champion. Um, nah. actually, we've never had a conversation about it, so no, we haven't. What's your What's your views on the idea of using a champion as kind of a prospecting strategy? So, if my understanding of a champion is right, it's finding someone to be the internal cheerleader for your product or service. Yeah, so obviously, basically. the underlying theme is well, there's probably no harm in doing. As a baseline, anyone that's cheerleading your product or service internally, obviously, is probably a good thing. So the, the, the principle, I don't have an issue with. The question is, is how are you going about doing it? And why are you doing it? And if you're doing it to avoid trying to go to the top and talk to the real decision makers, if it's just another procrastination or avoidance tool, then it's probably being used for the wrong purpose. The other thing is, is how is a champion going to possibly be able to present what you do and how you do it in a way better than you. They can't. Also, the problem with a champion is this. Whose interests is a champion ultimately looking out for? Their own. So the moment they champion you and the person who's more senior than dismisses it says, I think that's a stupid idea or I don't like that product. The first thing, they're not going to defend you. They're not going to go into bat for you. They're going to, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, you know, my, my gut feeling said this wasn't right for us, but I just felt I should bring it up anyway. They're no longer a champion. They've become an outright <laughs> enemy of you, right? So yeah. champions are only champions when there's something in it for them. But the moment it's shot down, they'll say, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree with you. I didn't like this about them. I just, I don't know. So I don't think it really, really can help you that well. So, Again, there's nothing wrong with having people wanting to promote your services internally, but I think it's more of an avoidance approach. Uh, How do you control a champion as well? Yeah, it's like herding cats. Yeah, Yeah. it can't be done. So if, if you've tried everything, and there is just no way you're talking to the person you want to talk to, you can't get through to them, then yeah, I'd try other means. But I would exhaust trying to get through to decision makers first. Remember, you very rarely get promoted up. You'll always get promoted down. So go as high as you can. And it doesn't matter. I get Benjamin. I don't buy sales training. You have to talk to the sales director. Uh, I appreciate that. And then I'm able to normally get them to realize why the sales director is the last person to talk to about sales training. And they get there, right? But I had to learn how to do that. And and people won't believe this. I used to be scared to phone MDs and CEOs. If I was given the choice, I would always go lower. And uh, it used to terrify me because I had the same head. What am I going to say to him when I get through? They they know everything about this. Well, what am I? Turns out I was wrong. But uh, it's very embedded in a lot of people when they first get into sales. It's breaking there. Yeah, and I guess you you were fairly young at this time, right? So the younger you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. unless you've got in common with these CEOs and MDs, the more daunting it is, I guess. Exactly, yes, you are. And you genuinely think, what on earth can someone at my age say to this person? <laughs> yeah. 
uh, and, and you have all that fear and that doubt. You don't sound like them. And that's the other thing you want to do. You need to start sounding more like the people you're calling. I think one of the biggest – if you phone up sounding like Tigger on speed or, <laughs> you know, or you come across as a bit of a wet fish, uh, you're going to get nowhere with a decision maker. Yeah, so you need to project the sort of personality that they're likely to warm to. People by people like them. It's not people by people. So if you're phoning at director level, then you need to sound like someone who's in command of what they're talking about and be able to stand their ground. That will garner respect and reciprocity. Otherwise, you won't get it. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right, last two questions then. So you train, you train salespeople, right? You go in and you train in uh, in-house training, I guess. You do your I online stuff. I try to. I try to, yeah. yeah. All right, so you, you go in, uh, specifically we're talking about the SDR role, prospecting, cold calling, that kind of stuff. When it comes to cold calling, what is it that people struggle with the most when you're going in and training these people? It's all the crap that they were taught as a kid that they don't realize dictating their behavior now. Uh, most people think of – you've got to figure out why am I prospecting, and most people don't know why they're prospecting. They think it's to get an appointment, to get a lead, to make a sale. So they're focused on the wrong thing. So that's the first thing. So they, they, they're focusing not on what they mean. Outcome is irrelevant. Outcomes are important. But the purpose of a call is to try and get someone a little bit emotional about whatever it is that you fix. The other problem is, is most people don't know how to talk to a stranger without vomiting on them about themselves. And no one ever teaches And then that's reinforced by senior management who go, well, we followed the script. For, Hi, my name's Benjamin from ABC Company. We help companies, da-da-da-da-da. We've been working with companies in Europe, da-da-da. And it's the same, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Now let me come and see you. And that turns off most people. You know, you wouldn't talk. If you were out on a pub Friday night and you saw the girl or the guy that you're attracted to, there is no way. You would go up to them and talk to them the way you talk to someone on a phone call or a prospecting call. You would not do it. Why? Because you know you've no chance of getting anywhere with them. Yet for some reason, salespeople seem to think you phone up and you talk at people about you on a prospecting call. Try and convince them. Gift of the gab. Intellectually well. doesn't work. And you're constantly reinforced. This is the way you do it. Just phone up. You do enough of this. It's a volume game. It's a numbers game. Yes, there is volume required in prospecting, but not because you're talking to enough people and not doing well. It's because most of the time you just don't get through to the person. That's a volume. But when you get through to them, you need to be talking about what you fix in a way that they can relate to it in their world. They have to be able to see what you do in through their eyes. So you can't find up and say sales training. Well, what the hell does that mean? What is that? What is that mean? No, no, we're fine. My guys are fine. No, no. How would perform? How would bad performing salespeople be doing? What would they be doing that an MD, if I said it, would say, I recognize that? Uh, are they reluctant or not motivated to pick up the phone and spend most of their time on LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, 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 I can relate to that. Yeah, that's what we've got to talk about. Not what we do, but the things that we fix that you can recognize in your world. And that's very hard for people to do because they're not used to thinking like that. So used to thinking about how they do it and why they do it and who they've done it for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I can still remember two years ago uh, that transition when I was learning all of this. Your your brain just doesn't know how to think like that because you can't unless you've been in the CEO or MD or the prospects' shoes. You can't picture 
what their life's like, right? To talk about these problems. Yeah. So you have to get creative. But I think that's why a lot of salespeople put it off, even if they do understand it, is because features, advantages, and benefits, you can see all of that. You've got your sales, your, your, product trading, your sales deck, all of that stuff in front of you. So it's just easy to talk about all of that. And it's easier to do something you've always done. And remember, yeah. let's go back to how most people got in sales. Most people in sales didn't want this for their lives. They've just ended up here. So unlike doctors and lawyers, people who wanted to do that, they work really hard to understand and get good at what they do. Most salespeople just coast by. They do just enough to be relevant. Why, why would I go out of my way to get really good at this when just coasting seems to yeah, get me yeah. by? And so this is the problem. They're, 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 they're carpetbaggers. They're just <laughs> waiting for something better to come along. <laughs> so I'm not going to put too much energy in. And I don't have to because I do just enough so my boss can't fire me. And that's what you get from so many MDs. I'd love to get rid of my sales guys, but they do bring in. Yeah, they know that. They do just enough to be relevant. It's not a bad job. The sad existence, right? To go through that. Like you said, when you got to 36, 37, and you had that pen drop moment, for me, I was fortunate COVID came along. Yes. And that, that exposed me. Uh, and if that never happened, I don't, we obviously wouldn't be here at this moment in time. But I don't know. I remember the point I was going to get onto is I remember when I was, this is going back maybe 10 years myself. Yes. And uh, I was part of a company. A, we merged with another company and during that time uh bringing two teams together they kind of displaced jobs right and there was these free leadership jobs that were all going um but there was maybe 12 people that wanted these jobs and obviously they came from two different companies um and i remember the there was a group of maybe people that were getting into their 40s they've got kids etc and this was their one chance at kind of career progression but it was the younger guys, the probably more competent people that would get at this. And I remember looking at these guys, they're really pissed off. They're still like shoulder to shoulder with people that are 10 years, their junior doing the same job. Uh, and I knew that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to get to that position. So at some point I was going to have to pull my finger out. Right. But it was some part of my brain. that was like, I can't be asked to do it right now. I'm too young. And then luckily, like I said, COVID came along, exposed me and I was like, right, I'll I've got a decision to make. I've got to dedicate myself to this or quit. That's the only other option. I couldn't imagine being 45 years old and selling the way a lot of people at 45 sell. Yeah. This constant, I just couldn't do it. It would be so soul destroying. And a lot of people put a brave face on it, but deep down they, they say that a salesman, the tombstone, you know, it says born 1975 died 1980. No, 2005, buried 2065. It's because the average salesperson, if you really look at what they do, they've had the same year just over and over and over again. And when you have the, when, when you're almost doing the same thing that somebody's only three months into the job is doing, it's like, that's not a career. That's a life sentence. And I didn't want a life sentence. I wanted to get better. I wanted to make a certain level of money and I wanted to consistently be able to do it and be in total control of that. And that's where I've got. Um, yeah. And I, I, I honestly, I go into offices sometimes and I look around and I say, I have no idea what you guys do. And frankly, I don't know how you do it. I just, <laughs> how do you do it? How do yeah. you do this? Yeah. 
No, I know. Well, look, right, we've gone over. I've gone over. Poor timekeeping on my part. Last thing then. So you've got a uh, quite a bit going on on your side. What's yes. the what are you working on? What's the future hold for the UK's most hated tra- sales trainer? Because you so, mentioned you're retiring. You've got a retirement date in place, right? Yeah, the goal is the goal is the goal is to get out of um, you know everyday sales training and going out and training people by the end of 2025. I think is the the timeline I set. So I've got a few more years. Um, so that's the goal. So you've got to have goals. Doesn't mean I'll achieve it. Doesn't mean it'll happen. Yeah. But I've set big goals in the past and I've achieved them. Um, so that's a goal, uh, purely because I, I'd like to do something else with life. I've done quite well out of this, and I've got really good at it. Um, I'm learning to fly, so I'm thinking there might be some way I can create a flying business. I don't know. So the, 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 the future is unwritten, so to speak. Uh, but what I've got going on, I've been doing a lot of uh, – I've been putting on an event with Brad Burton. He's the UK's number one business motivational speaker. We've teamed up to do a sales and motivation event. We had one last week. went really well. We're going to do more. I'm doing an event with the chaps from We Have a Meeting, uh, Jack and Zach. We're going to be running a prospecting event, I think it's next month, uh, 29th of November, which will start marketing soon. We're doing that together. I've got a new website launching, uh, and I'm moving, yeah, another one, yes. And I'm moving a lot of my material online, so people, rather than having to come to the live boot camps, which I want to give up, I got one more set of live boot camps in January, and then everything's going to be all online, and you can buy it and watch it at your leisure and have workbooks. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm automating a lot more stuff because a lot more people want to use me, and I just don't have the time or the bandwidth. So yeah, so I'm trying to put more online and uh, get a better work life balance. So yeah, there is there is uh, lots going off to America next year to give talks at some of the events, and so. Yeah, life is busy and still working with clients in house as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on, but yeah. So, for anyone that wants to work with you, they basically got two years of wouldn't be face to face, it'd be online coaching, right? And then after that, everything's automated. So, it'll just be video. Yeah, yeah, most of it will be. There may be the odd thing here and there, but I'll brand, yeah, I'll certainly be branching out. There's other ways to make money with the skill set that I've got now. Um, so yeah, but uh, yeah, it's like everything. I would have been doing it, oh gosh, would have been doing it for about 10 years then. I think every 10 years you need to do something new and different, otherwise, you become stagnated. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a long time. Yeah. It is oh, a long asking, Where can people find you then if they don't know who you are? Well, uh, if I'm not in LinkedIn jail, uh, on LinkedIn, <laughs> so uh, I got a YouTube channel. I've got a website, UK's with an S, UK's most hated sales trainer.com. Uh, Substack, UK's most hated. In fact, if you just put in UK's most hated sales trainer, you you're going to find me. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, look, it's been a pleasure. Thank you Thank once you. again for coming on. Um, yeah, I could have talked to you for ages there, but <laughs> we have to end it eventually, right? So, yeah, if you people listening, you haven't followed Benjamin, you don't know who he is, go and check him out. Um, Everything I know, he basically taught me. So um... he's a good student, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's folks. It, it doesn't matter how good my material is, unless you take and run with it, it's useless. Knowledge is useless unless applied. Callum applied it, and he's done very well out of it. Yeah. So yeah, don't think it's easy. He'll tell you if you have a, it. Was hard, right? And it was tough. And we used to have some great conversations and a lot of head banging, sometimes tears. Yeah, but. 
he's pushed through and he's he's made a real success. I'm very proud of him, actually. I'm really chuffed. Well, I appreciate the kind words. But yeah, well, let's end it on that. If you're working in sales and you're struggling, I, my recommendation would be you've got to make a decision. You, you either commit yourself to it or you go and do something different. And if you're struggling and you're going to commit yourself to it, go and speak to Benjamin. I can't vouch for anyone in the sales training world as high as Benjamin. Um, I genuinely mean that as well, actually. Um, I don't know anyone that even rubs shoulders close to you. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Um, and with that, we'll end it there. We'll end it there. All right. Pleasure, Benjamin. Thank you.